Good to see all your beautiful faces in the room this morning. And, it, and, and I was just kind of reflecting this morning. It's so easy to come with our agenda. It's so easy to come to church or, or go about our day and just say, God, do this for me. Do this for me. I have this in my life. I have this going on. I need you to come through and hear. And I think so often we forget to just sit back and say, God, what do you want to do? And so this morning, God, we ask, what do you want to do? If you want us to glorify you this morning, God, give us that direction and so we can glorify you. God, if you want to heal this morning, give us that direction so that you can heal. God, if you want to just settle in this room, God, just settle in this room. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are moving. We thank you that you are moving. We thank you that you are doing things. And we invite you this morning to come and to have your way, to come and to do what you want to do, to come and heal. We invite you to come and move, to restore, to blow, to, to just go through this place, move through this city, move through this country, move through this nation and move through this world. So this morning, I want to invite you, let's stand together, let's turn our hearts to God and let's say, God... What do you have this morning? So what's happening right now in the spirit is there's a confrontation. I don't know if you're feeling it. We're in an age of subjective truth. Your truth, my truth. I choose to do whatever I want. Subjective truth. His declaration is there is only one worthy to open the scroll. There is only one truth. If you don't agree with him and his word, you're wrong. Whoever you are, high or low, great or small, his truth or you're wrong. That's what's happening right now. And so your agreement in this moment as we're singing these things matters because you're saying, I choose to align and agree. And it creates a ripple effect across the region. So don't hold back and wait now. Add your faith now. If you find that there's some things that you disagree with God out, repent and then come into line quickly because it's beginning to affect the surroundings. This is how we break through for a region. You agree and you release and it opens a spot up wider for someone else to get in. So release your faith. Release your agreement. Repent if you have to. Add your voice. Raise it up. We agree, Lord. We agree with your word. You alone are worthy. You alone are right. You alone are true. You alone are just. Your judgments are correct. Everything you say is right and true. We're in a pocket right now of governmental authority. I can see in the spirit what we release here is going to affect Eastern Europe. Amen? I see a sound being released from this house that's going to affect Eastern Europe. So we're going to just step in in faith. There's a difference between a declaration and a decree. And God is giving a decree over Eastern Europe right now. So he says to Eastern Europe, he says the huntress has been hunting my body in Eastern Europe for generations and generations. But I say the Lord and the lion of the tribe of Judah, and I am roaring over Eastern Europe. I am cleansing the sound over Eastern Europe. I am cleansing the airwaves in Eastern Europe. I'm causing a purity to come into Eastern Europe. Is my name not greater than every other name over Eastern Europe? I specifically see the Baltic regions being absolutely shaken with the presence of God. And I prophesy right now that the Moravian, the Moravian well is uncapped over Eastern Europe. I say to Eastern Europe, you will see a move of God like you've never seen before. There is a move of God coming to you. What has been what has been sown in tears and weeping, you will reap a harvest of joy. I say it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what we're singing about here today, laying our crowns down. When we start laying our crowns down, 
we actually walk into who we are. And we are meant to declare into the nations and into our community. And so where you have authority, you get to declare into. And so this morning what I want to do here is I want to say we didn't lay our crowns down. We lay them down as a community of Spruce Grove. We lay them down as Alberta. We lay them down as Canada. And we become the healing for our community. We become the healing for our nation. We become the healing for the nations. And so we walk into our destiny. And so whatever you have authority in this morning, I just want you to, where you are today, to just declare into the healing of the place that you have authority for, whether that is just your family or it is for your city or for your your province or your country or countries that you're called to. Declare into those. Declare the healing. Declare that they are about to walk into their destiny. Something is changing this morning as as a church we lay down our crowns and we say, you, you are the only one who deserves to wear a crown, Lord Jesus. You are the only one who gets a crown. We lay them down before you this morning, Lord. There's a posture the Lord wants us to take. And that posture is when we lay our crowns down. When we lay our agendas down, when we begin to lay down all those things that want to take over our hearts and our minds, something begins to shift, not only in us, not only in Spruce Grove, but it begins to shift in the nations. And this morning, I believe, as we go into this baptism, this is a sign of what actually happens as the body of Christ yields to the Father. And as we lay our agenda down and we lift His agenda up, Everything begins to shift. Everything begins to change. And this is the result. Is a nation changes. A nation chooses to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Yeah. All right. So today, uh, we're actually going to, you know, kind of do a little bit of a Jim and Gaylene thing. And, uh, yeah. So Jan's going to carry a bulk of today's message, but uh, you know I'm going to bring some t- stuff as well today. But uh, our topic today is an interesting topic. It's stuckness, right? And I'm not sure how many of you have gone through stuckness, but I would say every single one of you in this room at some point have gone through some form of stuckness in your life. And so we've really felt, uh, not just as a couple, but as a team, that in this season as a church, we're actually going to start to talk about some topics that we haven't talked about in a little while. Because I feel this whole area of stuckness blends into many areas. So stuckness can move into our marriages. Stuckness moves into our faith, right? Where again, sometimes we come to church and one thing we've learned how to do as people of faith is we've learned how to put a good smile on. We've learned how to come into the house of God. And we've learned how to come in here and actually look like everything's okay all the time. Yet there's an element of stuckness in our lives. So again, this can be in our faith. This can be in our work. I think for some of us, that whole area of career. There's parts of us that are angry about where we are today, and we just feel stuck and that there's no other options. Well, maybe that stuckness just moves into our mindsets. Maybe some of us feel that depression, anxiety, thought life that constantly attacks you. And there's elements of stuckness where it's, you know what, we just sometimes just give in to this. And so today, we're not going to give you all the solutions and all the answers, but we're going to attempt to start a conversation about our stuckness because all of the things that we did today are vital to our journey. But the one thing that's going to keep us from going forward and changing this church, this city, and this nation is allowing that stuckness, that invisible realm that wants to own us. And we don't really admit it until we get home by ourselves. And when whatever it is pops up again, there's that moment, right? And so today, we're going to do our best to explore the topic. And at the end, we're going to pray and just see what the Lord does. Amen? Amen. Okay, I just realized I have chewing gum in my mouth. Chris has a rule about me and chewing gum. 
in front of people. One time I came off of the worship team, and I was like, kind of like, nailed it, you know, and I came down, like, I'll be honest, I think I was feeling a little prideful, and I said to him, so what do you think? You know, like, kind of feeding for some, like, you know. And uh, he says, well, did, did you, did, have you ever noticed that when you sing Jesus, it, you sort of slur? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then he's like, and you probably shouldn't chew gum on worship team because you chew really loud. So it's kind of like this. Jesus. <laughs> so... Anyway, no way. I'm not giving it up. All right, so I want to start with a scripture verse. Um, This morning, we spent a long time um, on this theme of you're worthy to open the scroll. Only you are worthy. And I realize that maybe all all of us, I don't want to assume that all of us actually understand the context or the reference of where that comes from. And so in Revelations, John, uh, John was an apostle or a, a disciple of Jesus, and he was given this incredible revelation by the Lord where he was brought up into heaven. And he wrote the book of Revelations, and in Revelations chapter 5, oh, I'm probably going to cry already. I was going to save it until later, but heck, why not? Um, so, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, or to look into it. Oh, I'm going to cry all service. It's one of those services, I just know it. Um, was able to open the scroll or look into it, which is so sad, isn't it? And I began to weep loudly, so see John cries, so I can too. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Oh, and this is the best part. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Man, that is so good. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Um, And oh boy, what was inside those scrolls was pretty amazing. And you should read Revelations to find out if you don't already know. The reason why I bring that context in today as we prepare to talk about stuckness is that there was a stuckness in the people of God in creation because of sin. And John had come to heaven and had become grieved by the fact that there was not one on earth who was holy enough to solve that stuckness to access the holiness of God, to access the freedom of God, but Jesus. And that's what we were worshiping about today, but Jesus. That's why we were saying, holy, 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 only one is holy, worthy, worthy, worthy. This sacrifice that you made for us means that we no longer have to be stuck in our sin. We no longer have to be stuck in our patterns. And so this is the context with which I would like you to listen to what we have to say today. Is that one was worthy to open the scroll and provide the wisdom, the mystery, the freedom of God unto you today. And so with that context, we're going to share with you a few things. A few things. Um, We decided to come up with four points. Actually, I decided... (laughs) Um, just four points, maybe why you've been stuck, and then we're going to talk about how to get unstuck. And then we're going to eat barbecue. So let's get going. Point number one, 
Why do we get stuck? Why do we get stuck in patterns? Why might you be stuck in certain areas of your life? The first one is that we are believing things about ourselves that aren't true. We're believing versions of ourselves that don't line up with God's design for us. And this can happen for a whole bunch of reasons. It can happen because of uh, in our childhood, we were trained to believe things about ourselves. Maybe in some of the things that we were exposed to in school, etc., etc. Maybe we've had difficult things happen to us and we've started to believe things about ourselves. Now, here's the thing about core beliefs is that the more we believe them, the more we build systems around them to support it. Which means that we're operating in a system that eventually is going to become redundant. And one day, you'll walk into a wall where the system says, this system no longer supports who you want to be and what you want to do. Does that make sense so far? Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 13, now that's that love chapter. And if you have your Bibles here, pull it up. I can't even remember which version I did this in. Um, We're going to start with 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, and then I'm going to go back to verse 9. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So there's this idea that in our childlikeness, in our immaturity, we're operating a certain way, but there comes a point where we put that behind us and we step into maturity in the things of God. Unfortunately, sometimes we stay stuck in a version of ourselves and we cannot think and act like a man. And when I say man, I mean, you know what I mean. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, it says this, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. So I'm going to give you a little example of what I mean. So have you ever had an experience where you've had a prophetic word spoken over you? And it's like lit. Like you are fueled for the next 45 years to do your life well. And you find yourself fixating on that prophetic word. And and you start working towards it. And you start designing your life around it. And it's not coming to fruition. And you feel so frustrated. And you wonder if the prophetic word was true. And you wonder what you're doing wrong. Well, sometimes what can happen is that we can make assumptions about ourselves, about what we've heard about ourselves, even prophetic words about ourselves, and we can start designing systems around it when God is going, I want you to submit to me what I say about you and what I say you are to do with you. Um, Okay, Chris is going to give us an example of what he teaches in Heroes about this concept. Maybe you should describe Heroes too for those who don't know. Well, first, I want to just uh, quote uh, Proverbs 23, 7, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. I think we're all familiar with that one. And I think most of you know, but if you don't, I teach, uh, and so does Paul, in the middle schools here in Spruce Grove, we teach a character development program. And uh, in one of the chapters, we talk about self-image, right? And so when we get into this, we actually talk about, you know, um, you know, what is it that a man or a woman wants to see when they look in the mirror, right? I think we all have an image that we want to see, right? And often for a woman, when they look in the mirror, they want to see beauty, right? They do. But one of the things that we know that happens is when you look in the mirror, and some of you did this this morning, right? Is we look in the mirror and what do we start to do? We start to judge. We start to look at our thought, like all our issues and our problems and all the things that we don't like about ourselves. In fact, you know, uh, there was a study done, done on this, right? And they believe, right, that kids especially, right, because there is this level they have to live up to when they go to school, but that people say hundreds of curses before they even leave the day in the morning. This is how they start their day. Now, I would venture to say that we actually do similar things, right? So again, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And men sometimes think that, you know, well, we don't do that, right? I look in the mirror and I think, right on, looks good, looks good, no problem, right? But let me ask you a question. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. 
Keep confessing. <laughs> I think at one point in your life, every guy's done this. You've gotten in front of that mirror, right? Kind of looked at yourself and maybe you kind of flexed your chest a little bit, right? And then you flexed your arms a little bit and you realize uh, not quite as big as I'd like them to be. And how many of you, Darcy, I know you've done this at some point in time, right? You have so. You get there and then you push your muscles up, right? And you do that. How many of you have done it? Tell me. I know it's true. Darcy, you have done it. I don't care. Maybe some of you did. Joel, you probably did it today, right? (laughs) Guys, we say it doesn't matter to me. Yes, it does. Because as guys, too, there is this element. We want to see ourselves as strong. One thing that bugs me is if you tell me I can't do it or I'm weak. So there's something inside of us, right? When we actually see ourselves as weak, we can get down on ourselves very quickly. So there is that element again. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What are we actually declaring over ourselves before we start our day, right? There's power in our words. We know this, right? Okay, we're going to move on to the second point. Um, And after these four points of maybe here are some ways that we're feeling stuck or ways we've gotten stuck, we're actually going to give you some ideas about how to move out of that stuckness. So don't be sad if, um, you know, we're sort of nailing you today and you're going, oh, this is how I've gotten stuck. We're going to bring some hope to this as well. Okay, so here's another way that you might find yourself in stuckness is when we believe that others are responsible for our change or when we believe that others are responsible for our stuckness. And I I felt like I should probably give a bit of a disclaimer. Um, If you're in an abusive situation... uh, it is good for you to get out of that, and that's not your fault. So let me just make that clear, okay? So we can, we can move into patterns of, of blaming others or projecting on others the responsibility um, to get us out. That can include your pastors. It can include teachers. It can include spouses. It can include, you know, just the people in your lives that you walk with. But the, the issue with that is that it can be a way of avoiding taking personal responsibility. There's always a way out. God always provides a way out. Um, I, I think that I would say um, this has probably been my number one reason for some of the stuckness in my life has been I just have waited for others to rescue me. I, I've waited for others to take responsibility for my stuckness because if I take responsibility, um, it's going to be hard work. I'm going to have to own up to my pain, and I might fail. I might not do it very well. And, and so it's just easier, you know, like, even in our marriage, it was just easier to think that Chris, being the head of the home, should just do this for me. And for me to own my life, to own the anointing that God's put on my life, to work hard and to repent for where I've blamed others for my pain that has held me in stuckness. I've had to come to terms with that and face that. And Chris is going to talk a little bit about sort of pain and... Yeah, I think about this, right? Because I think with most of us that have any pain in this area, it often stems to our family journey somewhere along the line, right? And I've shared my testimony with this church before that uh, in my family line, there was a lot of abuse. And as a young kid, I grew up uh, witnessing physical abuse in my house. That was something that was very normal. And so uh, at the age of six, my parents divorced, and I lived with my mom and my older sister. And uh, for years after that, I, 
I lived a life like I felt like we were always just barely making it, barely surviving, right? Barely able to put food on the table, always in constant uh, arguments, specifically with my dad at the time, right? There was a lot of stuff going on. And as a young man, I developed some stuff, (laughs) right? Some stuff, some anger, some frustration, right? And, you know, I remember people when we'd have issues at home, the the accusation that would often come against me, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before, is, well, you're just, you're going to be just like your fill-in-the-blank, right? And I heard that most of my childhood. You're going to be just like so-and-so. You're going to be just like this, right, all the time. And so there was an element in my journey where I could have easily accepted the fact that I come from a family of a lot of chaos, and I'm not destined for anything great or awesome, and I could have just given in to a lifestyle that would have just sucked me down, right? But I'm telling you, one of the things we teach in the schools again is we talk about the ability to be an agent of change, right? That each of us in this room, we can allow our situations and our circumstances again to own us. We can spend our entire lives talking about how bad we had it when we were younger, or maybe even two weeks ago, right? I could have spent a lot of time going down that that road, and I would have felt justified in going there. But I realized that if I keep going down that road, that's exactly where I'm going to stay. And so there was a point where I had to say, no, I choose to change the direction of my life, right? Because we're all waiting, where's the, where are you, God? When are you just going to zap me and change everything? I'm telling you something, man, it's just like our kids, right? With our kids, there's a point where we're not going to do everything for them. We want them to take the initiative because we're trying to raise them up to be something. God's trying to raise us up to be something, right? That's his call. And there was a point in my life where I had to take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. I had to declare who I wasn't, and I had to declare who I was. And then I had to choose to walk in it. I am not giving into this anymore. I'm not letting it own my mind. I'm choosing to go forward. And like, I just want to back this up. Um, I've been, we've been married for 25 years. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary. And, and I know what the stats say, you know, like being a therapist, of course we have to research those things. And I work with people who have uh, lived in trauma, childhood trauma, The stats are not awesome. Um, you know, without facing down that trauma and finding healing, it doesn't look good for families. And Chris's trauma in childhood was quite profound. Um, And Chris absolutely refused to be defined by that. He also absolutely refused um, to use that as an excuse um, for not moving forward. And he doesn't use it as an excuse for his bad behavior. Right, Chris? Your bad behavior is your own bad behavior, man. Um, Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, man, I'd love to talk about that for a while. But anyway, we got to move on. Yeah. Okay. So... um, when I was doing a little bit of work on myself a few years ago, um, one of the things that I read in my research was that from a psychological standpoint, if you don't believe that you can't get out of something, um, the likelihood that you will is very low. And it's almost like the more you believe that you can't, the more that your brain will build systems to support that. And so we believe that one of the reasons why we don't get out of stuckness is because we believe we can't. 
And there could be a lot of reasons for that. You know, I personally watch myself and others who share with me about their stuckness speak that unbelief from a place of pain and discouragement. What's that scripture verse? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You've tried before. You've been down that path before, and it hasn't worked. How many of us have said that or believed that? Or heard someone else say that, for that matter? I think also getting attached to hope deferred and discouragement and loss can also be fear and pride, right? And so what that does is we guard our hearts. We don't want to take risks. Evidence says it's not going to work, so why would you... Why would you make the effort? Why would you make yourself vulnerable? Why would you take the risk? Um, but I don't know if you've noticed, uh, God's kingdom is kind of risky. It requires us to walk in faith. Uh, you know, God hasn't given us permission to base evidence about him and who he is on what's going on. He is who he is. His character hasn't changed. It's just you're in sucky circumstances. But he's a good God. Um, And so uh, I'm thinking about this idea of we're going to have two voices in our head. We're going to have the voice of past experiences that say you've had this painful experience and you've had this loss and you've had this failure and, and this is a lot of evidence to say this risk in, in, in terms of cost-benefit analysis is not a good idea. And you know what? You may not even know consciously that you're doing that, but you are. You're building evidence to uh, encourage you to stay safe. Chris talked about this last week, was it? Yeah. Um, but then there's the other voice. There's the, there's the voice, voice of faith that says that God is the God of the impossible. There's the voice of faith that says, no matter what your pain, no matter what your past failures, no matter what your weaknesses are, God is enough, that God loves you, etc., etc. And I'm going to, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop myself there and I'm going to say, we have two Voices that we can listen to, that we can yield to, that we can lean into. Two voices that we can allow to be our influencers in our life. And, and you wanted to talk a little bit about this. Yeah? I don't know. <laughs> Do you want me to move on? Okay. So good. So I want to go to our next point. And this one, I think, might get your hackles up a bit. <laughs> Who said that? Joel? Get up here, Joel. Just kidding. Hackles. Hackle is um, on the back of cats. <laughs> Necks. And actually on dogs. If they feel threatened or defended, the hair comes up. And they arch their backs to make themselves look bigger and more threatening than they really are. Um, as a way to defend themselves against perceived threat. I get my hackles up sometimes. Do you get your hackles up sometimes? You want to talk about it? Okay. Okay, so just for a second, I want you to notice if you're feeling a little guarded right now. You know, like, just notice if your muscles are tense or if you're sort of like, I don't know, I don't know if this, like, applies to me. I'm not sure. And, and just notice that that's present for you. And, and for a second, what I'd like you to do is just ask yourself and ask the Lord, am I in any danger right now? You know, um, am I under attack? And if you aren't, take a moment and just let your guard down. And here's what I'm going to say to you. 
keep them hackles down. Sometimes we don't change. Sometimes we get stuck and don't move out of it because we don't want to change. So I'm going to tell you a story, and you're just going to keep your guard down. When, when I um, was in counseling school, um, a very wise professor of mine, at the very beginning of my first course with him, said, if this is the only thing that you remember of everything I've taught you, please remember it. And he said, people don't want to change. And I was like, no, that's not true. And in my head, I was thinking, he's old and he's cynical. (laughs) Like, people want to change. I mean, I'm going to be an awesome counselor. They're going to come into the room, and they're going to want to change. Like, that's why they're in counseling. Well, very quickly, I realized, oh, they don't want to change. (laughs) Um, They'll even pay to come into the room to not change. And what I also realized is, I don't want to change. There came a point a number of years ago where I'd been praying the same prayer to God, to God, help me, God, with this area of stuckness. And at one point, literally the Lord said to me, you don't want to change. And I was like, you are right. You're right. Okay, so I want to read you a scripture verse. <laughs> Psalm 81, 10 through 14. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. It's a pretty awesome blessing. He'll fill your mouth. But, that's always the scary part. My people would not listen to me. What? Israel would not submit to me. What? So, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. That is not good news. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. You have something you want to say there? Well, just a statement. You guys have probably heard it before, but a man who lies to himself has an enemy living within, right? I think we've all heard that statement before, and this is part of it too, right? Is that if we lie to ourselves about this, we don't go anywhere. There's an enemy that is living within that will keep us stuck in the same spot for a long time. And again, we're waiting for that moment that God's just going to pluck us out. But again, like I said earlier, God's a good God, right? Just like we're going to teach our kids how to do certain things. He's teaching us how to do something. And the first thing is this, is we have to stop lying to ourselves, right? If something is going on, we have to admit it first and foremost to ourselves so that we can go forward from there. I think I keep exposing myself. I want you to be vulnerable now. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Um, I I think this is also an issue for me is that... um, I like to hide from myself. It's, very, it's hard for me to turn to myself and, and see the level of pride that's there. It's also hard for me to own the fallout of that pride in other people's lives. Um, it doesn't feel good. It hurts, and it's embarrassing. And so... This year, um, one of the things that I've committed to, the Lord gave me a word at the beginning of the year. I always ask for a word at the beginning of the year. And he said to me, your word for this year, Jen, is Jesus is your reward, or Jesus is my reward. In other words, no matter what is happening, no matter where I think the accolades lie, no matter what other people think of me, My goal is to have Jesus as my reward. And if I'm going to turn to him, I must also turn and face me and confess where I have lied to myself about who I really am. Not in a shameful way. Not to debase myself, but to own the story of who I am so it can be fully submitted to Christ. Okay, 
So these are kind of heavy points, right? So I want to give you some hope. Why are you laughing, boy? Okay. So how do we get out of these patterns? You know, so the first one we talked about was uh, that idea that we stay stuck because we believe things about ourselves that aren't true. We believe a version of ourselves. We live out of a version of ourselves that God hasn't even designed us to be. Maybe we've created that for ourselves. Maybe someone else has designed that for us. Maybe culture has influenced that. And so one of the things that we can do is we can confront our perceptions of ourself through the word of God. And I want to give you a scripture verse, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and it is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In order for you to confront where you might be living out a version of yourself that isn't true, you have to let the word of God cut through soul and spirit. Your own definitions of self and God's definitions of who you are. So the one thing that you must, you must, you must do is you must be in the word every single day. This is your weapon. So important. Um, in Psalm 139, 23, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. At some point, we're going to have to let down our defenses and let God search us and expose those things that don't line up with his truth. It's hard to do. It's painful. Like I say, my pride being exposed, where I'm trying to be rewarded by the world and not be rewarded in my relationship with Jesus was very painful. It showed me that I was much more immature than I thought I was, which Chris was so surprised about. He's always said, I'm so mature. (laughs) Also, ask others that you love and trust and that walk in maturity to challenge your maladaptive mindsets about yourself. This one is scary. Do you know who's been doing that for me is my boyfriend. Thank you so much. 25 years of it, actually. He said to me just a short while ago, not many years ago, Jen, there are still things in your heart that are defended. There, you still become defensive when I challenge certain aspects of your character. I know he's doing it out of love. I know that he's doing it with my best, uh, he, has my, he has his yeah, best interest in mind. Um, but I'm still defended. Um, and, and so it's so important that I keep submitting myself to him and his wisdom. Oh no, this is on camera now. <laughs> oh no, I'm already terrified. Would you agree, Chris? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. And also, of course, okay, I'm going to gun for this. Seek professional care. Seek pastoral care. If you need others to support you in confronting, yes, thank you, in confronting mindsets that you know don't line up with God's truth about you. Um, in, in counseling, I say this. Your trauma, your past pain, wasn't your fault. Coming out of it is your responsibility. Is that fair? Okay. Do you have anything you want to say? Okay, two. Number two, we said, believing that others are responsible to get us out of stuckness, or believing that they're the ones that have kept us there. So you have to start looking at where you're reluctant to move forward because you're waiting for someone to do it for you. Just pretend like nobody's coming to help you, except for one. And he's riding on a white horse, and his eyes are like fire with passion for you. He is coming for you. I'll say this real quick, right? Like I shared last week, there was an element where 
the disciples were facing the storm, right? And they got annoyed at Jesus because he was sleeping. And that's the reality again, right? We think he's sleeping. But Jesus gets up, he stops the storm, and again he looks at them and he says, you of little faith. Okay, because he's giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to actually grow in our faith. And this is what she's getting into here again, right? Is, is just because Jesus doesn't come and stop it, right? It doesn't mean he doesn't care. <laughs> we hear, where's Jesus? He's abandoned me. No, he hasn't. He's just a good dad, right? So again, that's that element, right, that he's giving you an opportunity to grow. So actually take that step of faith. That's what he wants you to do. And it is a step of faith to say, um, I'm, I've been waiting for somebody to do this, and so in faith, I, I'm just going to plow ahead out of my stuckness, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. But I know God, and I know his character. I know Jesus. Okay, ask the Lord to give you courage to take responsibility for your stuckness and repent for blaming others. I may have done this a time or two. I may have repented a time or two for where I blamed others. And I've needed courage to come out of that because it's so scary. And I've been without courage. Make room for the supernatural in your life. Woohoo! Make room for the supernatural in your life. If you are stuck and you're holding somebody else responsible for that, or you're holding somebody else responsible to get you out, just just make some space between yourself and that narrative and make room for the supernatural. God is the God of the impossible. There is no stuckness that he cannot handle. Look at the cross. He, the, Jesus was dead. No heartbeat. Gone. And he rose from the dead. That looked like some stuckness, didn't it? Okay. So then there's that piece around, we don't believe we can get out of stuckness. And you know what's an amazing prayer to pray? If you're in that place of hope deferred makes the heart sick, or you just don't believe it, or you've actually moved even further into apathy, is, God, help me with my unbelief. You just keep praying that, until your faith is on fire. Pray it every day. Pray it once an hour. Pray it every five minutes. Until. Until. Heal me, God, from my hope deferred and my heart sickness. And believe that he can do that for you. So I'm going to give you some scriptures that I have relied on in my own stuckness and in my own heart sickness. Isaiah 42.6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I'll keep you, and I'll make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. That's you he's talking about. Jeremiah 29.11-13, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. This is the truth. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you'll call on me and come pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, where you've been stuck, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break. Psalm 34, 18, he's close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Ask God to give you a spirit of faith in exchange for your stony heart. Okay. I'm so excited about this part. And then Chris has got a preach on him. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. Um, Here's what we're discovering about those who come to us with hope deferred makes the heart sick and apathy, is that when we start to believe that we can't get out of our stuckness, our hearts become stony. Our hearts become hard. There's, there's, they're not that permeable membrane that allows faith to soak in and to bring hope and faith. And so this is... I want you to 
write this down on your phones or memorize it in your heads or screenshot it. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. Claim this over your hearts. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Do you know that unbelief can be an idol? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. So we give our pain to the ministry of the Holy Spirit instead of avoiding it, instead of numbing it. We will not partner with unbelief. We will not partner with apathy. We will let God heal our stony hearts. So I want to share just a journey I went through this year, and then we're actually going to pray for people who feel like they're in stuckness, but we're going to add to that a little bit too, right? I have a good friend sitting over there, Mr. Howell, who had a good talk to me uh, just a little while ago. And so I want to talk about actually a reset. Some of us actually need a reset in our lives, right? And so I want to pray that over you guys. Actually, I'm going to get you to come and pray too, Gavin, because this is a powerful thing. Um, I don't know, probably about three months ago, I think you guys are aware that, uh, you know, I uh, was here at the church and I was just... uh, in the office, getting ready to go to a, I have to confess it, a Garth Brooks concert, right? All excited to go to this concert. I know, help me Lord, right? It's country, right? And uh, it was amazing because it was, you guys know the story of me and my dad, but this was a Father's Day thing for my dad, right? And this was the first time in probably 25 years that me and my dad went to do something that was fun, right? So this was a big events for me, especially as a son, right? And so that day I'm in here and it's getting close to the end of the day and Tareen, I love Tareen, she's out there right now getting us all ready for for our our barbecue right after. So she goes and she buys me an ice cap and she brings it back to the church, right? So I drink this ice cap and uh, it was delicious, but it has caffeine in it. I haven't had caffeine in a while. So I finished drinking this ice cap and all of a sudden I feel like something has shifted in my body. And I'm thinking, wow, that, you know, when you haven't drank caffeine for a while, all of a sudden you feel something, right? So I'm like, wow, that caffeine's sure hitting me, you know? And so I'm kind of getting ready for this, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? Something just isn't sitting right. And so I, uh, I go home, and I'm getting ready to go, because there's no way I'm not going to the Garth Brooks concert with my dad, right? Row 12 on the floor, I'm like, I'm doing this. And so I get home, and, and Jen's sitting there, and I said, man, something feels off. And she's like, well, let me check your pulse, and... She checks my pulse, and she goes, your heart is racing. That's not good. (laughs) You should go to the doctors, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, no, 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 it's just the caffeine. I'll be fine, right? And so I grab my stuff, and I get in the vehicle, and I'm driving to my dad's, and on the way there, I almost faint twice in the car, just driving. And I'm thinking, oh, it's my blood sugar level, right? Okay, good. I know what I need to do. I'll get to my dad's, and I'll grab a ginger ale, and I'll eat a chocolate bar, and we're good to go, right? You know, that's what I'm thinking in my head. So I get to my dad's, and I, I start to walk in, and again, I almost faint a couple times just trying to get through the door. I get inside the house, and it's hitting me more and more and more where I'm getting ready to faint. I'm getting ready to faint. So my dad, he goes, and he grabs me an aspirin, right, just in case, you know, so it thins your blood, grabs me a ginger ale, and he grabs me a chocolate bar. <laughs> so I eat it, Right? And I said, I'm just going to go for a walk outside and see how I feel. And I go for a walk outside, and I'm feeling better. I'm like, okay, I think I'm okay. We can do this. And I said, out of safety reason, though, you should probably drive. I shouldn't do it. So he drives to the concert. Good thing it was outside. We go to this concert, and I have an amazing time with my dad, right? Amazing. I looked at him, though, and I told him, I said, if something goes on with me, just sit me down in my seat, finish the concert, and then we'll deal with it, right? Because I knew something was off. I'm a stubborn guy that way. I'm not leaving the concert. I'm staying with my dad, right? (laughs) And so this concert ends, and we have to go, and we have to walk up these steps to get out of the bowl. And two more times, I almost go down. 
while my dad says, I think you need to eat. Let's go get a burger. (laughs) Just the way guys think sometimes, right? So what do we do? We go get a burger, and I eat a burger, right? I drop my dad off, and I'm driving home, and I almost faint two more times, and I phone Jan, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe you should stay on the line with me because I keep fainting. I'm not sure what's going on. She's like, pull the car over and call an ambulance. I'm like, I'm not calling an ambulance, right? I got a self-driving car when I get on the highway. I'm not doing that. I'll be fine, right? And so I said, I'll make it home. I'll just keep you on the phone, right? And so I get home. Jen comes, and I'm like, I guess I should go in just to see what's going on, right? Get to the hospital, and they ask me this question. Uh, are, you, have you, are you having shortness of breath? I said, well, yes, I am, <laughs> plus a lot of other things. So because I said I had shortness of breath, what'd they do? They isolated me for COVID, right? Put me in a room for 30 minutes. I said, if I am having a heart attack, I'm going to die, right? I texted Jen because they kicked her out of the hospital, right? And I'm like, this is ridiculous. 30 minutes later, they finally bring me in. They're testing my heart rate. They're like, you need to get in here. I'm like, I know I need to get in there, you know? And seven hours goes by, and we're sitting in there, and they say, uh, we can't get your heart rate down, and we don't know what's going on right? So we're going to have to reset your heart. And I'm thinking, what? Where's the pill, right? Let's just get this done. Like, give me a chocolate bar. Like, what are you talking about? You got to reset my heart, right? And they're like, no, 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 we got to reset your heart. So we're actually going to shock you. I'm like, what? You're going to shock me? I'm looking at Jen. Is this for real? And he said, yeah, but I'm going to talk to the cardiologist to make sure if there's something else we should do. And so what they decide to do first is to give me this pill that stops your heart for two seconds, and then it kicks it in, right? That's what it's supposed to do, and it's supposed to get your heart rate down, you know? So I said, all right, fine, give me the pill. And he said, now, just so you know, this is going to feel like you just got in a head-on collision. (laughs) I'm like, thanks for telling me. I'm like, you should have just done it, right? Now I'm all worried. So he gives me this pill, right? I take it, and... uh, you know, I, I, all I can say is this, man. It was like a massive flood of heat. Felt like I was going to puke. Felt like I was going to faint. Uh, all this stuff. And then my heart rate goes to about 260, 270. It does not stop. I'm looking at the guy going, what's going on? And he's like, it didn't work. I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, my heart feels like it's coming out to here. And he says, you know, I'm going to have to, we're going to knock you out. And so, again, from there, I don't really, I don't remember anything because they knocked me out. They shocked my heart. I looked over, and I see Jen sitting beside me, and I say, are they going to shock my heart or what? She's like, they already did it. And my heart's back at whatever. It's beating at 65 or so, and it's been fairly good ever since, right? I go out with my brother Gavin and tell him the story. You know, I can't even remember if you told me that day if you phoned me to tell me later. But Gavin just tells me, says, Chris, I really believe that this is a reset moment for your life. Right? Like, that's what he spoke over me as a brother. This is a reset moment. And I really took that to heart. I'm like, literally a reset. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I took it to heart, though, of like, I don't know how many of you have been in that moment where you just had something happen to you that, I mean, this is so out of my control. This one's a little scarier because it has to deal with your heart. Right? And I admit to you, I was a little scared. I mean, then the doctor says, so when you go home, just don't worry about it. That's the worst thing you can do. Great advice, right? Yeah, I'll get on that for sure. Thanks, buddy. And, of course, I was back in two days later. Something went on with my heart again, and they gave me some nitro. And so I was having some nitro off and on for about a week. And I actually, just so you know, I go, you guys can pray about this. I go on Tuesday to my cardiologist appointment, right, uh, this week. And I'm feeling way better just to say that, but... I I spoke at Alberta Beach probably, I don't know, three, four, five weeks ago. And I actually shared this with them because I felt like God wanted to do something for the people in the room. And I felt like God is doing it right now. That for some of us, we need a reset because we've been stuck for a while. Right? And we can't admit it here. Maybe some of us can, but it's hard for us to because we're putting on the show because we need to to come into church. But we're actually really stuck. And we're trying so hard to do these things. We're trying to do this stuff for God and even the stuff that we sang about, preached about. Maybe for you right now, it's just like, I can't even think about it because I'm stuck, but I feel like I got to put on this image. I'm going to tell you right now, kill that image. You don't have to put the image on. 
This is actually what the body of Christ is for. And there is a pride in us. There's a pride in me. Right? So I share this with the people at Alberta Beach. And I share that I feel there's a reset for some of us. And this guy comes up to the front during the altar time. And he says to me, he says, I need you to pray for me this reset. Guy's probably in his 60s. He said, I've been in church every Sunday for the last two years. But I haven't read my Bible once in the last two years. My marriage is about to fall. I'm so depressed. I won't tell a soul. I'm so tempted to just give up on this whole faith thing, especially church. I need a reset right now. I mean, I got to pray for that guy in that moment, and I feel like right now, this hidden realm, God just wants to put his hand on it. Right? Because we want to do something. Yeah, we want to change the nation. But if we can't get out of this stuckness, we're not going to go too far, right? So I'm just going to ask us to stand to our feet. Gav, I want you to come. I don't know if you're open to this. But uh, too bad. You declared something over me, and you know what? It actually impacted my journey and my life in a big way, right? Because I've also said this, man. When this happened, I don't want to live for the things of the world. I don't want to live just to please myself. I have one mission on this earth. I don't know how many days I have, but I know how important it is to get that mission out. I know how important it is to shift this community. I know how important it is that we actually declare and share the good news of Jesus Christ every day. And all that fear that comes inside of me, I want that dead. And where I've died to these things... Right? I used to have so much. Do you remember your, when you're all that faith, you'd do anything. And then you almost start to just get churched too much, if that makes sense to you. We get too churched, and we forget about the things that are most important. I'm telling you, there's a reset right now for us to actually go back and say, I'm actually going to be about the things that are important. The king, and that's it. His mission, not mine. Not retirement. His mission, his mission, his mission, and that's it. And so whatever Gavin feels here, he's going to pray it. But I'm telling you, if you need that reset, right, I just want you to put your hand on your hearts. And we are going to pray for that, right, the reset to take place in you today, whatever it is. So I just want to speak a little bit into where we're going to go here. Uh, I've walked with a fella for 10, 15 years of atrocious childhood trauma, everything going on, and addictions. And he says, uh, hey, can we do a step five? They go through a 12-step program, and he goes, will you be my prayer partner? I said, yeah. Yeah, you bet. And so I show up, and he's got a list of regrets and resentments in a column here. And in a column here is the forgiveness and the repentance. And we go through this, and it's it's trauma being exposed, and so he is being so vulnerable, and, and it's, it's heart-wrenching, and, and we go through it all, and he goes through that list, and you can tell this is just so powerful in him, and then we take the list, and he gets his lighter out, and he lights up the paper and burns it, so that he isn't that person anymore. And it's a symbol. It's a symbolic walk of like, I was given this. I am not this. But I own where I'm going to come out of. I own this. And so I believe this is part of us are in this. We all are. We've been believers in Christ. We've been believers. And yet, there's some resentments and there's some unforgiveness, and there's places that we need to burn up and burn up. And Jesus says, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. He doesn't say, I forgive them, and I've got a little spot over here where I am going to judge you and remember them. He says, I remember them no more. And so I believe right now, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we come in here, Lord, as faithful ones, as faithful ones, Lord. 
Lord, stand in those spots where we've been stuck. Stand in those spots, Lord, where offense and resentment and everything that has uh, uh, blocked us from being with you into the fullness. I once heard a guy say, you want deliverance? Start a family. You want healing? Start a business. On and on. Our deliverance is continual. Our healing is continual. And so right now, we say, Lord Jesus, as you went to the cross, your body was broken. Your body was whipped and scourged and beaten for our healing and for our deliverance. And so, Lord, forgive us right now. We put our hands on our hearts and we say, forgive us, Lord, for the offenses we have held in our hearts that we've been stuck with in our lives. And yet we want to move forward. And, Lord, we're stuck in the miry clay and the muck. And so, Lord, we say, Holy Spirit, like a dove, come and touch those places Truly, Lord, we desire a reset, a reset, a reset. And I just see out of Revelation, she says, blessed is the overcomer. Blessed is the overcomer, for I will give them a new name, a new name. And I speak that into this body right now. There's a new name, no longer the cursing that we've spoken over our own lives, a new name. And here's the beauty of it, it says, And only that person will know that new name that I have given them. And so, Lord, in the depths of our heart, Lord, we say thank you, Lord, that you make us overcomers by your blood, by your body. And so, Lord, we say hallelujah, Lord. This reset right now, Lord Jesus. Lord, so that we would be vessels Lord, to be overcomers, Lord, that you have set in place, Lord, to move and advance your kingdom here on earth, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be stuck, Lord. You make the roads, the crooked roads straight, and you are streams in the desert. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, Lord, we say a reset, Lord, a different heartbeat, Lord, a one that hears your heartbeat, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we come, we come out, Lord, we come through the veil, and we come through salvation, Lord, and we say, Lord Jesus, have your way, have your day in our hearts, Lord, offenses falling to the ground, regrets no longer, Lord, resentments no more, Lord, the past is the past, Lord, but the overcoming is your way. And so you've given that. And so, Lord Jesus, we see that in your powerful name. Amen. The overcomers will be the pillars in heaven. (laughs) Amen. That's the word of God, man. The overcomers will be the pillars in heaven. Um, I'm just, I'm not going to get into this, but I'm going to say this. For some of the marriages today, I'm going to tell you this. Keep going. We're going to do some stuff here coming up in the future, but I'm going to tell you this again. Keep going. Keep fighting, right? Keep fighting and don't stop fighting, right? Keep going. Keep choosing to love one another. Keep choosing to put the lies down. Keep choosing to forgive. Keep choosing to walk together and to get over whatever it is. Don't align with the enemy. Keep going forward. Amen?